Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 23, says this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And, not, and are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of, of the Lord and, and Cephas? Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruits? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of, the, of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for the necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I've tried to figure out a bunch of times how to start this off this week. And the truth is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's what Paul was talking about last week, and I believe he was talking about sacrificing our rights for the sake of the weaker brother. Kind of seems like he abruptly shifts this week. He moves from talking about 
sacrificing your freedoms, your rights, your knowledge for the sake of those who don't have the same knowledge as you. And then this week he decides he's going to talk about, well, I should be paid. Um, which seems like an abrupt transition, but it's not. Paul this week is going to get into defending his apostleship, the rights that come with being an apostle, and then why he sacrifices those rights. And the reason he's having to defend his apostleship is because uh, the Corinthians are not happy about him refusing to take money from them. They're not happy that he works for a living. In fact, because he works for a living and because he doesn't take money from them, uh, they're starting to doubt whether he's an apostle or not. Because there's a couple different ways that traveling missionaries or sages or wisdom speakers earned money in those times, and that was through taking pay, working for a living, or begging. But because these Corinthians had known about some of the other apostles, or at least how it worked in some of the other cities, or maybe even that Paul was accepting money from other cities, they kind of wondered, well, what, what's the deal? Uh, if you're not accepting money are you, and you're working for it, does that not prove that you're not an apostle? Or, if you accept money over here and you don't accept money here with us, why are you so different? Why, why do you change? Why are you hypocritical? Does that also not prove you're not an apostle? So I think what Paul does in this whole chapter, um, up until about the very end, he's making a defense of his lifestyle. And he's making a defense because he's answering a possible objection that would come to the prior teaching of, well, you need to sacrifice your rights. You need to act in such a way. Because they could say, well, if we need to act in such a way, why do you not act the same way? So I'm going to lay out kind of a framework of what Paul goes through. He has an argument. He starts off with an intro, which is why he's, he's establishing again that he's an apostle. He, answers, he does it through a couple of rhetorical questions. Then he moves into his defense, which is most of the chapter... And finally, he gets to his heart and we're in his conclusion. After I go through all that, I'll give us a couple of different points of application, a couple of questions that we can just ask. Well, let's go ahead and begin. So, he starts off chapter 9 with, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to the others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he begins this chapter. He begins this sort of new set of arguments reaffirming that he's an apostle. Any questions that you could have, that the Corinthians could have, he's kind of blowing them out of the water. He says, I am an apostle. I'm free. First, I am free. Second, am I not an apostle? If you doubt that I'm an apostle, have I not seen the Lord? And this is not well known. He'd only ask that question of them, have I not seen the Lord Jesus? if they would have known about it. So if Jesus has not visited me, then maybe I'm not an apostle, but clearly you know that Jesus has come to see me on Damascus Road and given me my calling. He then moves and he says, well, are you not the workmanship of my apostle? Of my calling? Are you guys, am I not a father to you guys? Do I not disciple you guys? Am I not the one leading you spiritually? And then finally he asks, 
Well, fine, if I'm not an apostle to the others, surely I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship. The very fact that you exist as a church is owing to the fact that God has called me and brought me to this location to preach his word and to preach the gospel. So he moves forward from that. That's his intro. That's his reestablishing, reaffirming what he is as a, what his calling is. He moves forward and he gets into this defense. And again, I think this defense is because he wants to knock out any sort of objection to the teaching he's getting ready to give and the teaching that he's previously given. And any objection to how his lifestyle is that they might disagree with him. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, as do the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So this is where he brings up the main objection that may come. Do we not have the right to refrain from working? His last point is the most important point. He brings up a bunch of different um, ideas of support. Do we not have the right to provision? That's how you could read like food and drink. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Do we not have the right to companionship on this journey? And then finally, and this is again their main objection, do we not have the right to not work for a living? And he brings up these other apostles. And so... As he established that he is an apostle, he begins to establish what his rights as an apostle are. And that those rights, he goes through a couple different arguments as well. First he argues, and this is where we've read, uh, from the example of the other apostles. He argues, do we not have these rights based on the fact that the other apostles have them, that the brothers of the Lord have them, and that Cephas has them? And he mentions Cephas, who is Peter, by name, because likely they had met Peter. And then he brings up that question. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to not work for a living? So he's starting his argument, and he starts it with a very easy argument. He doesn't do anything with a lot of convincing or anything. He just he makes the example of others. If they are apostles and we are apostles, do we not have the same rights as those apostles? And he makes this case of also saying well, he uses a couple different analogies. He says, what soldier works at his own expense? Do you know any soldier that just does it voluntarily? And especially back in those days, as a centurion, those were even worse conditions than what we have now. So who would, who would live in mud and fight and possibly die for free? Or who, who plants a vineyard? What farmer do you know that doesn't take some of the crop for his own family? What shepherd do you know who doesn't have milk or take milk from the whatever his flock is for the sake of himself or his family to sustain himself? He's using a bunch of different logical arguments for the Corinthians because they're logical people. And his first case is, listen, as an apostle we have these rights because the other apostles do, and logically this makes sense. But not content to stay there, he moves on to the Old Testament. He says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, 
because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to, that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? So he makes this case from the Old Testament now. So again, he made it from a logical standpoint. Now he's making it from a scriptural standpoint, stating that... um, and he cites this obscure law, this uh, one that probably meant nothing to the Corinthians unless there were Jewish believers there. But he says, hey, in the Old Testament, God even says, if you're, if you're plowing a field or if you're threshing out grain, don't muzzle the ox, let it feed. And he does something that if I were to do or Blake were to do, we'd, you could probably call us on it because it's really bad exegesis. It's really bad interpretation of the Bible. But for Paul with the Holy Spirit, I guess this makes sense and this is written and it's, it's recorded, so I guess that makes sense for Paul and is good enough for us as well. So he says that this law regarding oxen really finds its fulfillment in the ministry that God would call us to those who would advance his kingdom on earth, to the fulfillment of Old Testament Israel. He says this oxen is really referring to the apostles, to those who would go again establish his kingdom. He says, but we don't make use of this right. He starts defending his freedom, which we'll again get into in a little bit. But he says, or do you, he also says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Or those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. So again, he's pulling from the Old Testament. And he's taking these things with the people who used to serve the old temple of God. They would get their sustenance from the old temple of God. So then, are we who are now ministers to the new temple of God not entitled to the same rights as those people? Should we not be provided by for the temple of God? Or by the temple of God? And he's already made this argument that you guys are a temple. So he's trying to bring this forward. He's saying these ministers were uh, cared for by the temple. We new ministers are cared for by the temple. And finally, if they're not content with the Old Testament, he goes ahead and says, well, this is also what Jesus commanded. So if you love Jesus, you obey his commandments. And uh, he says, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Um, I believe what he's quoting is Matthew uh, 10, 9 through 10. You don't really have to turn there because it's going to take me like half a second to read once I find it. Because it's very short, but um, it's when Jesus is sending his disciples out for the first time for a missionary journey. And he says, um, he says, acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper nor for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, and the labor, for the labor, laborer deserves his food. So it's taken, again, like I said, it take me half a second. But the point is, is that Jesus himself has also said that those who are going out for the sake of the gospel should be provided by those who they minister to. The laborer deserves his food. So Paul, he makes this point of establishing 
that he has these rights. He makes this point of establishing that I am an apostle. This is my authority. And this is my right to be able to take provision to be provided for by you. And he says, and it's my right to say I don't want it. It's my freedom to say I don't want it. He moves on and he says in um, verse 15 and moving forward, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I right in these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so not as to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he goes really far, and he goes to great lengths to establish that, yes, I have the right to provision from you, but if I'm an apostle, I also have a calling that God has placed on me, and it is my freedom to operate in that calling without pay. And he presents his heart to us there as well. He says, I present it without pay so as not to put a hindrance in the way of the gospel. He discusses with us this kind of compulsion he has to preach the gospel, that he's, by necessity he has to preach it. God has laid upon him a stewardship of preaching and that if he doesn't do it, woe to him. But there is a reward for him if he can do this in a way that doesn't provide, or cause any stumbling block to anyone who might come to it. He says, my reward is that My reward is that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right. And lastly, we kind of get to his conclusion. And I think this is where he starts taking this argument of I have the right to money, I have the right to do this, I have the right to change, I have the freedom to be able to take money and the freedom to not take money. Whatever does not hinder the gospel. And he concludes by saying, for though... I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might save, uh, that I might win more of them. The Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul's conclusion is that I'm willing to change, I'm willing to become anything, I'm willing to take money, I'm willing not to take money, I'm willing to be a Jew, I'm willing to be one with the law, I'm willing to be one without the law. I'm willing to change my lifestyle at any means, so long as it doesn't interfere with the gospel, for the sake of the furthering of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's, he lets them in. Again, it's his heart. He says, I may seem hypocritical, I may seem like I change at times, I may seem that this does not work. 
but there's always one driving force behind it, and the driving force is that I want to win those who I'm ministering to. And at the time, for you Corinthians, it's for me not to accept money from you. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with him in his blessings. I, I do this. I, I, I have this right as an apostle. And I have this right that I'm willing and happy and glad to forsake for the sake of the advancement of the gospel so that I might win some with my living. So that the way I live does not keep anybody from the gospel. It says, I do it all that the kingdom might advance. I do it all that I might share in its blessings. I do it all that I can share in the pouring out of God's love to a community of people that He loves. So, that's what Paul's saying, but what does that mean for us? He doesn't set out to make a point of saying, hey, follow my example. He doesn't lay this all out to say, hey, Corinthians, follow my example. Do this. Really, he's just kind of saying, These are what I, this is what I do. This is my heart. And if you want to examine my lifestyle, if you feel that I don't live up to it, here it is. But I think Paul, in his defense of his lifestyle, becomes for us an example of missional living through his attitude, actions, and ambition. What's missional? It's a word we've coined to talk about intentional living for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I think Paul becomes a perfect example of this. First we see Paul's attitude. He says, I'm willing to become all things to all people. And I think this comes from a place where his identity is so rooted in Christ that he's okay changing things about himself for the sake of others. He's secure. He knows that he's saved. He knows that there's a God. He knows that that God is loving him with an everlasting love and nothing can ever change that. And his heart is the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. So when you have that identity, it's a very small thing to be able to change your lifestyle for the sake of the culture that's around you. His actions. He literally says, I have become all things. So he lives that out. He doesn't just have this affirming mindset of, yeah, true, God has saved me, and I, I can sacrifice things, but he does. He actively changes his lifestyle to the culture of those around him, and he does it in such a way that Christians question him. That they, they, they think, what, well, what's the deal? If you're living in such a way, you must not be an apostle, and it's not true. He's saying, I'm living in such a way that I might save those who are around me. And I think that comes from the freedom he knows in Christ. And the true freedom that Christ provides us. Because he can give up earthly passing away things, temporal things. Because Christ has given him an eternal thing. 
Um, we have an inheritance that can't be shaken. We have eternal life. We know that one day this world will be remade and we'll be inheritors of this world, and we are co-heirs with Christ. So when Paul knows those things, it, again, it's a small matter to give up passing away things for the sake of the brothers, or no, for the sake of those that we're trying to save. And lastly is ambition. He does it all with purpose. This isn't for the sake of just, I want to fit in. This isn't for the sake of, I don't like being persecuted. Because clearly, he didn't get persecuted. Um, just kidding. Um, he does it because he wants to see God's love advance in this world. He does it because he, what he experiences, he wants the rest of this world to experience. He wants every culture that he comes in contact with to be able to say, Jesus redeems this culture, and I know Jesus, I love Jesus, Jesus has freed me from my sins, and Jesus has saved me eternally. He's given me eternal life, and this broken world will no longer be broken one day. So, there's a couple questions. How do we live in such a way to emulate Paul? When Paul concludes this whole argument, which ends at the end of chapter 10, he finally says to the Corinthians, um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So how can we imitate Paul? I know he's not telling the Corinthians here to imitate him, but I believe there's a lot that's good for us to imitate. First, what is our attitude um, American culture, Western culture in general, but mostly American culture, is very independent and individualistic. And are we too wrapped up in our individualism to be able to think of those who are outside of ourselves? Paul's mindset had self very far below everything else. And because of that, he was able to change the way he lived for the sake of others. What what do we even have that mindset? Are we willing? Second, what are our actions? Do we practice what we believe? If we believe and if we're so secure in our identity in Christ, are we willing to sacrifice things that we love, things that are even good for us? It's good for Paul to have provision. But for the sake of the gospel, he doesn't. Are we willing and do we sacrifice good things when those things are a hindrance to those who are around us? Mine, the biggest example, is I have to grow in this and I have to repent in this, but I hate my neighborhood. <laughs> um, they, it's very difficult living in a neighborhood where everybody cares about the yard as much as they do and I make a point of not taking care of my yard just to prove a point to them. Um, and that could be a hindrance, as, as silly as that sounds, as trite as that sounds, it could be. I, I've had a letter left on my door, and I'm sure that person that wrote that letter would not want to hear about Jesus from me. I'm sure the way that I live in that case would be a hindrance. And so my actions need to match up there. I need to take care of my yard, I guess. But I think that's something, this, this is an example, but it's... What actions are we not taking because 
we don't have this mindset. Lastly, what is our ambition? Do we want to see our community transformed? God has called us to the community. I mean, he does say go into the nations. But personally, he has not called us each to the world. He has called us to specific communities. Uh, I think a couple months back, Blake was talking about it in Acts. This place in this time, God has called you to. That you might seek and find God. We are God's emissaries for a new kingdom. And a kingdom that can't be shaken. And we are here in this place and time out of God's sovereign desire and His will. So do we have the ambition that God has? And it's a good thing to have godly ambition. Uh, so those are the few questions. Um, probably didn't talk as long as usual, which is probably kind of thankful. Um, let me go ahead and pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's example. May we have the mind that you gave Paul, which really you gave Christ. So please give us the mind of Christ that we desire those who are around us to be saved, that we love our neighbors, that we participate in our culture and in our communities and we don't hinder your gospel. Please let your words come through in this sermon. Um, not mine, which are weak, but yours, which are strong and have the power to change and the power to transform. Please bring us into a place of action in our cultures this week. And please give us Paul's ambition and his attitude. In Jesus' name, amen.